Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Man, it is good. Um, Gavin, I'm going to tell you, we can uh, keep, keep singing some more. If you not right now, but I mean, we will in a minute, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I don't know what's going on. My heart is full and overflowing and wanting to, wanting to shout and praise the Lord this morning. Um, even more so, I don't know. I mean, it just, you know, sometimes I get a little weird like that and just want to praise Him. Uh, church, I mean, that's a great um, truth. Uh, the Bible tells us that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Amen? Now, I'm not back there sitting amongst all of you. Because I might, I might mess some of you up if you hear me sing, because I'm not the best singer. And uh, not that you're not. I was looking at you, Chris, and I, I didn't mean to. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But anyway, um, that's, that's a trouble when you say something like that and you're looking at somebody. I really didn't mean you, but I mean, that happens, that happens. Um, but I, I don't know, my heart's full. We could probably just keep on singing a little bit this morning and, uh, and praise him. Uh, take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to continue on in this, what I'm calling Encountering God series. And yes, we've kind of moved into the New Testament. Uh, and there are lots of places where Jesus encountered people, situations, and we could, it would be a long time before we preached through the whole New Testament. So, I mean, you know, it, there's a lot of different places there. But the Lord's led me to what I'm going to call the Lake Encounter. Uh, this is probably familiar. I think all these scriptures are probably fairly familiar with most of us. Uh, but it's good. And God's brought me here. And we know it as, if you've got your Bible, my title is Jesus Walks on the Water. All the Gospels record this, and they record that Jesus walks on the water in this moment in the midst of this storm. Uh, the pinnacle of this passage is really uh, verse 33, the last one, where the disciples uh, together worship the Lord, saying, truly, uh, you are the Son of God. And... Uh, it's the first time, even though they've heard this, and at his baptism, uh, the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. You know, even, even some of the encounters he had with demonic activity in his, in his earthly ministry, they, they cried out. I mean, you remember this, uh, in Matthew 8, uh, they said, what do you want to do with us, son of God? I mean, they, so even though the disciples had heard that, and they probably had individually maybe even declared that, I don't know, this is the first time recorded in Scripture where all of them together in unison, begin to worship Him as the Son of God. And so why? Why does this happen? Well, that's where we're going to get to. Because God, uh, uh, well, let me say that Jesus reveals Himself as God's Son in specific ways throughout this passage. So it's no, mo no mistake He got there. God, God's revealing Himself, and God still does this today. In other words, they were walking with Him for almost up to two years, best we could tell, up to this point. And they knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the anointed one, the one that was going to bring back the Messianic kingdom. They, they believed that. They left their professions. They followed him. Uh, yet there's a difference between believing he's the coming king and he's the son of God. That he, and, and, and in one sense, he is God the son. I mean, he is fully God in the flesh in this moment. That's what got him in trouble with some of the Pharisees. Because uh, only, only God can forgive sins. Y'all remember that? We're not necessarily you know, going to get to that passage, but he healed the paralytic, remember this? And all of a sudden, uh, people were thinking it. Uh, well, let, let me back up. He said, uh, what, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic. Remember that? 
And, uh, and people were thinking, oh, yeah, well, it's easy to tell someone their sins are forgiven. He said, well, okay, just so you know, I got the power to forgive sin. Get up and walk. Just take that mat and go on home. And he does. And at that point, they're, they're in shock. They're like, oh, my goodness. And at that point, the Pharisees, and, and even before that, say, hey, he's equating himself with God. He is God in the flesh. And so that's, that's the revelation. It's not just some king. This is God himself among us. So anyway, there's five specific ways that Jesus reveals himself as God's son in this little passage. So let me just kind of read through it, if we can, in verse 22 in chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was great against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, called him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Then they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. And those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, right now, right here, God, would you just reveal yourself to us through your word, through the preaching of your word? God, help us to see you as you really are. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so the first thing I want to share with you is this. Uh, there's five specific ways. The first thing is this. He reveals his divine authority. Verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples to get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. The text here suggests he made the disciples get into the boat strongly suggests that they were reluctant to leave him in this moment. Now, we, now we, we can, we can um, hold your place right here. If you want to turn with me to John, Gospel of John. So the Gospels record this story. John gives us a little insight into why he was making them get into the boat. Right. So in John's Gospel, John chapter 6, verse 14... And again, Matthew records just preceding this lake encounter, this walking on the water, <clears throat> Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? That's not what the message is about this morning. But on the heels of this is when he says, immediately get into the boat and go across the other side. John records this. At the end of that feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, right? He fed everybody. Some estimate, uh, they, they counted 5,000 men. Some estimate there was 20,000, 25,000 people there on that day. It was a big crowd of folks. Uh, and they said this. Here's what the people said. They began to chant this. They began to say this. Surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that, what? They intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself to the mountain by himself. So when we kind of understand a little bit of a context here, why would, why would Jesus make those disciples, maybe they were reluctant to go, uh, for, I mean, you know, let's, just, let's just think just for a moment. Uh, MacArthur reminds us that the disciples, uh, 
no doubt, thought that this recognition, in other words, if you look at the context, uh, feeding of the 5,000, the crowd is going wild at this point, and they're saying, hey, he's the king. Let's make him the king. I mean, you can imagine the uproar and the excitement. The disciples probably thought, what's well, about time? I mean, they've been walking with him for two years. They had already walked with him. They'd gone through all kinds of situations. So now you got this big uproar happening around them, and they're all chanting, he's the king, he's the, let's make him king. Well, sure, he's the king, he's the messiah. Well, it's, they might have been thinking, well, it's about time y'all started recognizing who he really is. They might have rejoiced with the crowd. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd of people before. All of a sudden, they get a little excitement going, and everybody gets excited. Some people get excited because the crowd gets excited. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's contagious, right? They might have got caught up in that moment as well. They might have been chanting the same thing. They might have been, I mean, again, it's a journey. They're walking with him. They know he's the Messiah. They know he's the coming king. They know he's going to reestablish Israel's reign. And he understands, they, they believe that. What better time to make his first public move toward the throne? Why not now? 25,000 people are in an uproar. He just did this amazing miracle. The stirring of everything that's going on. So, Jesus strong, uh, makes them get into the boat. Why? Because he knows this is not the plan. This is not the way that he's to be the king. They were reluctant maybe to go because they were excited about what was going on. Maybe they didn't want to leave. Maybe, maybe they sensed there was a storm brewing. you got to remember, some of these guys were mariners. They were fishermen. This would not have been the first time they'd been on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was known for its storms. I mean, they, they would have been out there. This was a known place for them. Uh, true mariners kind of get a sense of things. I know we have all our gadgets today, but they get a sense. They can look. They can feel. They can feel the wind. They can sense things. And they're like, mm, this probably isn't the best time to go out on this water. Maybe they sense that in that moment. Whatever the reasons of their reluctance, their, whatever reason it was, we're not real sure. We can kind of look at the context here. The disciples did get into the boat. They did do what the Lord asked them to do. They were under the Lord's authority. So whatever we want to say about these disciples in this moment, they did, even though reluctantly maybe, he had to kind of firmly tell them, get into the boat. They did what the Lord told them to do. It also reveals His divine authority over the crowd. Now think about that. There's, there's a lot of people here. Again, estimates 20,000, 25,000 people, and they're all in an uproar. And the Bible just basically says He dismissed the crowd. So in this moment, Jesus turns to this crowd. The disciples are in the boat. They're heading off. He turns to the crowd, to this multitude, and basically with just a word just says, y'all need to go home. And they probably didn't go home. They got to the nearest place. And this was evening time, right? They just fed them. They probably went to the nearest place to bed down. But you see how he exercises his divine authority over this large group as well as his disciples. What's interesting is on the heels of that, Jesus then goes up to the mountainside to pray. I can't help but to think about this. What is it that Jesus is doing up on the mountain? Now, I know he's praying. I mean, the Bible says that. But what's the focus here? Why is he on the mountain? He just came off this, this amazing moment feeding all these people, this miracle that just took place, this surge, this uproar, this incredible success and movement that's taking place. And yet he sends off the disciples and says, i got to get alone and get up on the mountain. Now, let me remind us, and again, I, 
You remember in, in, uh, uh, in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus was called out into the wilderness and, and tempted by the devil. You remember this, right? Um, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 that when the devil finished all this, it left him for a, an opportune time. This seems like an opportune time. Uh, in other words, what, what do I mean? It's possible, it's possible, even in the midst of this crazy moment, this uproar, all this incredible miracle took place, all these people chanting his name, it might be that, might be that the devil might have whispered in his ear and said, hey, you know what, what better time to establish your kingdom than right now? It's the Passover season, Jesus. Let's do it. You can march triumphantly into Jerusalem ahead of thousands of faithful, enthusiastic supporters with your supernatural power. Hey, you could conquer the Herods. You could remove Rome. You could take care of business and establish your kingship. You could bypass the cross. Avoid the agony of having to take on the sin of the world. You could do that. So the Lord goes up on the mountainside to pray. I love this because even in this moment, Jesus demonstrates and models for me and you, personal intimate prayer is extremely important. I know, I know we're living in this world. Well, he's Jesus. I get that. But he's also fully God, fully man, fully tempted in every way, yet without sin. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. He was battling in the heavenlies in this moment. He was battling. How do we battle? Through prayer. If we ain't praying, we ain't battling. Individually or corporately. If, we ain't, if we're not praying, we're not in the battle. How important was this? So important. Jesus said, I, listen, I don't even need you fellows with me right now. I need to be alone. I got to get alone. He goes up there all night long just about on the mountainside to pray. He demonstrates and models for us the importance of prayer. Let me remind us here, this little insight for you. The season after great success can be when we're most tempted by the devil. Got a promotion, got a job, this worked out, everything's... When things are rolling well, oftentimes is when we are tempted the most. I mean, just look at the nation of Israel, bless their hearts. When they're struggling, they're crying out to the Lord. When God blesses them, what do they do? They run away. They get all into idol worship, and they just pollute themselves and all that. So I'm just saying, now look, I'm not saying you're Israel and I, or, or nation of Israel. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to point finger. I'm just stating the obvious here. When things are rolling well, we seem to not want to get up on the mountain and pray all night. But when something happens, when there's a crisis, then we go to pray. Jesus does the exact opposite. When everything was rolling well, he said, hold on now. I've got to keep my eyes fixed on my Heavenly Father in the midst of this. Because I guarantee you, that 20,000 people, there were some of them who said, come on, we can go ahead and take the throne right now. Let's go do it. Not only is he praying right there for himself, there's no doubt. Now, we don't know what all he prayed. I'm just saying, in what we're about to see here, he's praying for those disciples as well. He told them to get in the boat. He told them to go to the other side. He instructed them on what to do. This leads me to my second thing. The second thing, how does he reveal his... Uh, that he's God's son, he reveals it through his divine knowledge. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, right? The scripture in the Greek, it, it's, it's termed stadia, many stadia. Stadia is about an eighth of a mile. John's gospel informs us they were about 25 to 30 stadia from land, which is about three to four miles. 
Now, if you're a mariner back in the day, they're going over the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, most likely. That's where they were. It would only have been about a mile, a mile and a half. So what happened? The winds are coming out of the north, and they're buffeting them. Now, I don't know how many of y'all tried to row a boat recently. Huh? It's one thing on a, on a glassy lake. But get out there when them waves are hitting like this, and there's a storm. I mean, I mean that's all they had was row. They didn't have that mercury behind them, kicking it into gear. Even that, I'm telling you, I've been on some waves like this with a big boat, and it doesn't go well. It gets buffeted. That might be why they've been, we were a little reluctant. They're like, Lord, don't you realize what's about to happen? I mean, they might have sensed that. Now, hold on a minute. They were obedient. Let me just say this. The blessings of obedience. See, oftentimes we think, well, if I follow the Lord's commands and do everything He wants me to do, everything's going to be crystal clear and smooth sailing. They were obedient to the Lord, and they're in the middle of a storm. Fighting for their life. They're being buffeted. Now, now, what happened? The strong winds come out, and what's happening here? That boat's drifting this way into the middle of the lake. Now they've gone about three or four miles. They're out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of that lake. Struggling. The wind's against them. In fact, in Mark's gospel, he gives us a description. He says they were straining at the oars. I mean, they are struggling to try to get there. MacArthur makes his statement, the disciples were already confused, possibly frustrated, disillusioned, disappointed, number one, that Jesus sent them away in the first place. They admired for their obedience and perseverance. Although the night was dark, the sea stormy, the situation apparently hopeless, they were doing the best they could do with what the Lord commanded them to do. He reveals the knowledge. Like I said to you, he didn't come to them the moment they started struggling. In fact, the Bible says he came to them at the fourth watch of the night. Now, this helps us a little bit. In their day, they divided the night into four watches, four shifts. First was six to nine, second was nine to twelve, third was twelve to three, and the fourth was three to six. So, basically, the disciples have been at sea for almost nine hours rowing that boat when Jesus comes to them. Jesus waited a long time before he ever came to them on the water. Now hang on to that. He knew they were struggling. He knew the storm. I mean, he's on the mountainside. He can't even see the boat from where he is, but he can see the storm brewing. He sees the storm. He knows they're in the midst of the storm. But he waits a long time to get to them. Doesn't it remind you of kind of Lazarus' situation? You remember that? When he heard that Lazarus had died, he heard that report. What did he do? He waited, didn't he? He waited until he was in the tomb. In fact, in fact, uh, sister said he's good and dead. In fact, I mean, the indication is he's already smelling a little bit. Don't even go in there, Jesus. I will say this to us. God is always on time, but it's his time. I, I, have, to be, I have to be honest with you here. I get a little impulsive and I get a little, I'm like, oh, come on, let's get it done. Let's do this. Listen, when it comes to the Lord and what he wants to do in our life and in this church, it's not this. It's a process, and it's on His time. And, and He reveals to the disciples in this moment that His knowledge of the situation is divinely. In other words, He knows He knows where they are, and He knows what they're going through. Now, I'll give you a little insight here. Storms, and I'm going to say challenges, difficulties, and distresses, etc. You can fill in the blank. Reveal to us what we really believe about the Lord. Does God really know where I am? 
Does he really understand the struggle that I'm in right now? Not only does it reveal to what I believe about the Lord Jesus, but it also presents opportunities what for me to apply God's Word to the situation. They would have heard this in the Sermon on the Mount just sometime earlier when Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In the midst of the storm, the disciples are stricken with fear. They're struggling at the worst. I don't know what all is going through their mind mentally and emotionally in this moment. Friend, I don't even have to ask people to lift hands this morning and say, how many of y'all been through a storm recently? And I don't mean the rainstorms that we've had. You know what I'm talking about. Many of us, right, right? Even middle schoolers get into storms. <laughs> had to embarrass my daughter just a moment. I mean, do we not? Do we all? At all ages. I mean, and now it defines differently. I get it. That five-year-old is going to have a different kind of storm than that 15-year-old. But we all have them. I mean, there were, none of us are immune to storms or difficulties or situations. The disciples were in the midst of one for whatever reason. They had forgotten some of the truth that, God, that Jesus had already presented to them. You know, it's interesting. In the storm is where the rubber meets the road. The application of what God has already told me is presented in His Word. Now I get to live by it. It's one thing when things are easy-peasy and I'm walking down the road and everything's sunshine all the time. But when things struggle, now what am I going to do? do I really, am I going to really take God at His Word? Am I really going to praise Him? Mm, that's, an, that's another Praise Him in the midst of the storm? What's coming out of my mouth in this moment? It indicates what you really believe about the Lord. It's an opportunity. Let me say it that way, church. It's an opportunity. The disciples, whatever was going on in their moment, there was a lot of fear, a lot of strife, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety going on. But what I love about this, Jesus hadn't forgot about them. He's up there praying, uh, uh, no doubt interceding on their behalf. But he waits to the fourth watch of the night. He waits till early morning, right before dawn, to go to them. Why? Because there's a right time that he needs to show up. The wrong time, it doesn't, it's not going to work. He has to wait till almost till we get to the point where we're done. We're exasperated sometimes. What are we going to do? We're going to look to him. And so he shows up and he comes. And what I love about this, MacArthur says this, he used the trial as his footpath. What does he do? He walks through the midst of the storm and encounters his disciples. Does he not do that to us? Sometimes them storms don't go away. They're still raining. It's still blowing. It's still difficult. But yet, in the midst of it, we can know the Lord and His presence and His peace. And man, He walks right through the midst of the storm and comes straight to the disciples. He reveals to them His knowledge. Even though Jesus couldn't physically see them, where He was on the mountain, He knew exactly where they were. Please hear this. God's vision is not like our vision. Let me remind you in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, there's no creature hidden from His sight. Doesn't matter where you are right now today, church, please hear me. The Lord knows. And I, I don't know what that brings in your heart. I don't know if that is fear or concerning. I hope it brings comfort. There's no place you'll ever find yourself where God is not. And He knows exactly where you are. So not only does he reveal that divine knowledge, but it's divine protection as well. Verse 26 and 27. The Bible says that they saw him, right? Um, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. 
And they cried out in fear. The saw him, that word, that phrase saw, literally is derived from a Greek word that means to look intently. It indicates that the disciples' gaze was fixed on this apparition before them. They were mesmerized. In fact, the Bible says all of them saw it. It wasn't like one of them weak and struggling, and he saw something that he thought was something. No, no, they all saw this. What they thought at first was a ghost. They said that's the word, the fan. Uh, It's where we get the word phantom. That's the Greek word there. This imagination. In other words, at first glimpse, they weren't sure what they were seeing. It kind of looked, what are we seeing? In fact, it struck a little fear in their heart, and they cried out. Maybe because of the darkness, maybe because of the midst of the wind, the waves, maybe the fatigue from rowing, maybe the fear that had already gripped their heart because of the storm. Here it is, they didn't recognize Jesus when he showed up. Let me say it this way. Hear this. Fear distorts our view of the Lord. So many times in Scripture, God says, Do not fear, do not be dismayed, for I am with you. Over and over again. Why? Because if this heart is full of fear, I don't see Jesus clearly in the midst of my storm. And in this moment, Jesus is showing up. He's walking on that water. He's coming to them. And they don't see Him clearly. In this moment, what does He do? In His divine protection, He calms their fear. How does He do it? In verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Despite the raging winds, the waves battering the boats, and their fear-stricken minds, they immediately, hear this, recognized the voice of Jesus. They immediately recognized the voice of Jesus. One word from our Lord changes everything. Now the storm is still raging around them, but in this moment, it's no longer in their hearts. It reminds me, um, my niece Julie, I really don't know how Julie is now. I won't tell you. You don't ever tell a lady's age. But anyway, I don't remember how she is now. Um, when she was born, she was born up at UAB Hospital. And I remember, because at that time, we were young married folks. And um, early in the morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, my daddy got a phone call. We lived downstairs. Tells you our situation. We were living in basements of mom and daddy's house at the time. And... Uh, he got a phone call. She was just born the previous day. Everybody was up there. Everybody was happy. Everything was good. Four o'clock in the morning, they get a phone call. I can hear the commotion going on. I go upstairs, and Dad's on the phone with my brother. It's the first time in my life I've ever seen my daddy cry. When he hung up the phone, he couldn't hardly get the words out. Bottom line is, uh, Julie was born... Uh, I'm going to mess this up. The main artery is going into her heart. There's a word for it. We're in the wrong place. The one that was supposed to send oxygenated blood to the body body was in, in, in the wrong place. So the only oxygenated blood was circulating in her heart, not in her body. What happened was, and this is how God works, uh, there was a nurse there that she was coming off, she, uh, off her shift. And thank God for nurses and medical people. I mean, I'm just so thankful. She comes in. Really, I'm just going to say the Lord led her there. She comes in just to make sure. In fact, my brother and his wife are in the bathroom. They're not even out. The baby's in the little bassinet out in the room. 
She comes in and pulls the cover back just to straighten up the covers, and from here down it's blue. She scoops that baby up and runs to the NICU. Um, my dad hangs up the phone, tries to tell us what's going on. I mean, he is... He can barely get words out, but I know enough to know there's, there's significant what's happening. All I know to do, honestly, and this ain't, is to go pray. In fact, there's an urgency in my heart. I run downstairs, I get in our bedroom, and I just kneel down with my face, and I begin to cry out to the Lord. Tears are streaming, just crying, Lord, Lord, Lord. I really don't even know how to pray. Don't even know what to pray. Don't even understand the situation fully. But what I will tell you, praise be to God. His peace that passes all understanding, came into that heart of mine. Who am I? I'm just JJ. I'm nobody special in that sense. It's the same peace that you know when you call upon the Lord. Why? How do I know that? Because the Bible says, right, that His peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, I'll tell you this. Jesus said it this way. What did He say? Um, John 14, 26, But the Counselor... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything I have said to you. Here it is. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. In that moment, in that day, in that room, I'm telling you, the peace of God just sat down upon me. And here's what I heard in my heart. It's going to be okay. I cannot tell you every time I prayed for somebody or prayed for a family that the Lord spoke in my heart, it's okay. But I'm telling you, in that moment... He said, it's okay. I stood up, dried my eyes, went back upstairs, and I told my dad, I said, Daddy, it's going to be okay. Now, he doesn't have a clue who Jesus is at this point. I said, it's going to be okay. Had this conversation with my brother, right? He was just recently became a Christian. I had to go to him. I said, it's going to be okay. How do I know that? Because God spoke his word in our heart in that moment. When, I, I'm telling you, church, listen, when God speaks, it's not, don't, don't act like it's some weird thing. We're called to communion, to know Him, to love Him, to personally call upon His name for us, to walk with Him. I, the terminology is all throughout the New Testament. To walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. When He speaks, when, when God speaks in the midst of that storm, it changes everything. It didn't change the storm. We walked through a storm for months. The disciples are still in the storm. Yet by a word from the Lord, peace comes in. He reveals himself as his what, divine protection. But then he moves on. And this is what we typically remember out of this passage of Scripture. If you've, if you've ever looked at this Scripture much, you know, you know about Peter and you know about what happens, don't you? I mean, we all, we all kind of gravitate there. Peter's one of these folks, uh, he's known for being impulsive, uh, overconfident sometimes, right? Um, you, you know what happens here in verse 28, right? Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you. And the Lord says, come. Uh, a couple things going on here. One, Peter knows that people don't walk on water. When, when he makes this statement, if it is you, really in the context, it's not... He already knows this Lord. When God spoke, it is I. He's like, oh, that's my Lord. That's my Lord. I know it. I know His voice. So it's not a matter of if, if it's really you. Mm -mm. No, he's, he's saying, Lord, uh, 
I know it's you, but I don't dare step out of this boat unless you tell me to come to you. In fact, MacArthur would say this is a term of, what, what does he say? Divine love is what Jesus reveals. In this moment, in this crazy, scary, stormy moment, in this moment, God reveals His divine love in His exceptional way to Peter. Peter loves his Lord. We see that all throughout the Scripture. Yes, he's impulsive. Yes, he gets in trouble with the Lord at times. And yes, he's always putting his foot in his mouth at times. But there's anything you want to say about Peter in his life, look at his life. Look at all the Scripture. He loves his Lord tremendously. The moment he heard the Lord's voice, he knows it's him. In the context, he seems to be overwhelmed in this moment. Let me say it this way. I'd rather be with you on the water than in the boat with these fellas. And so he's overwhelmed in this moment with joy that it's the Lord. I know it's him. And so he says, Lord, just tell me to come. Because I know men don't walk on water. I've been a mariner all my life. And I've been in these storms before. And he's been thrown out of that boat probably many a times. So he asked the Lord to command him to come. Because why? He knew if Jesus said, you come then you can come. And so in the moment, I mean, without hesitation, the Lord says, come. And all of a sudden, uh, what, what, what happens? Peter doesn't, doesn't, even, doesn't even hinder. He just jumps out of that boat. And here he goes on the water. Now, this is what we always remember, right? All of a sudden, he begins to sink. That's what happened. He got out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. Then all of a sudden, he saw the wind. He saw what was happening in the storm. His eyes got off of what, uh, what his Lord, and all of a sudden he begins to sink. Right? I mean, it's, I mean, listen, he's in the real deal. He's in a real storm on a real lake, Sea of Galilee. He steps out on the real water, and he's now walking. And as long as he keeps his eyes on the Lord, he's going to keep walking. But all of a sudden, I mean, the storm's real, and all of a sudden he's like, oh my goodness, what just happened here? What I love about this even though Jesus says to him, what does he say to him when he begins to sink? I mean, of course, he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus does. I mean, he's right there. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He begins to sink. But, I mean, you don't hear from the Lord at this moment, man, you shouldn't have got out of the boat. I mean, he really kind of commends him. In fact, I would say to him, our faith is strengthened when God puts us in, in situations we've never been in before. Listen, and this isn't really about walking on water. In fact, Matthew's gospel, though, is the only one that records him walking on the water to Jesus. So in the grand scheme of what's happening in this passage, it's not about him walking on the water. In fact, you don't see him offering classes on how to walk on the water. That's not the big deal. The big deal is his love for the Lord moved him to do something he'd never done before he got out of the boat. His faith in the Lord helped him to walk in a manner that he had never walked before in his life. So, so yes, yes, we talk about him sinking. He, 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 he's starting to falter a little bit. And yes, the Lord says, oh man, you have little faith. But let's just make no mistake. God still is inviting me and you to get out of the boat. Look. The boat for these men was their shelter, was their comfort, was their only place of support. And Jesus said, mm-mm, mm-mm, I am. So he's revealing himself as, I am the only one who can really help you in this moment. Get out of the boat. 
So he commends Peter in that sense. So he reveals his love to him. And then, and then the last thing is this. What does the Lord do? He reveals his divine power. We know what happens here. He caught him. He, he, he got Peter from drowning. And then he climbs into the boat, and the wind died down. It's interesting. The most miraculous thing in our mind, he does without ever saying a word. He didn't speak to the wind. He didn't tell it to calm down. He just got in the boat. It's almost as if this whole thing was set up to, to, to bring about this whole situation with the disciples to help them understand who I really am. It's almost as if the wind goes, okay, it's over, boom, and it stopped. Now, I will say to me and you, I mean, we're tested in our faith. Oftentimes, God will bring us to a place by faith. We're in obedience to, to experience Him like we never have before. That can be exhilarating and frightening at the same time. Make no mistake, if we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, God calls us to get out of the boat, to trust in Him, to look to Him, even in the midst of difficult moments and times. So here we are today, church. Gavin, come on up. Where's Gavin? I don't know where Gavin is. There he is. He's normally sitting right there, Nathan. That's why. So, so the Lord reveals himself. Why? Because he knows for these, for these men to go on with him and to be all that he has called them to be, they've got to go from this amazement of my miracles and this feeding of 25,000 and everybody's so excited about, mm, there's more to this than this. This amazement, mm, okay, that's good, but I need you to understand who I really am. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord moves us from this outward to this inward part of worship where we acknowledge He is truly God in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God. God, Jesus, is who He is. You know, just like the disciples here in this boat, in this difficulty, in this moment, you know what the storm did for them? It softened their hearts and it opened their eyes. Oftentimes when we walk through very difficult moments, yeah, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, if you've been there. Particularly if you're having to endure something for any length of time. My hope and my prayer this morning is your heart becomes softened and your eyes become open. To look maybe to Jesus, maybe like you never have before. To call upon His name even in the midst of a struggle. Maybe just like these disciples. Maybe you're in a place where you, you're, you feel like you, you created your comfort, your support. And now God's asking you to do something you've never done before. Maybe like Peter, God's inviting you to come out of that comfort zone. The goal of this whole passage, as I said at the beginning, the pinnacle, was for them to come to the realization that this is truly the Son of God. He is worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy of our worship. Let's stand together this morning, church.